0: Let's uh, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, let me ask you this. Would you guys agree that there are several things in life that tend to distract you or stop you from being um, the best version of yourself? Yes or no? I'm not trying to do, I'm not trying to be like this self-help person, but um, is there some things in your life that hinder you from being who God created you to be? Yes or no? Okay, if you said no, because I think I heard someone say no, I'm going to find you. I'm going to shadow you for an entire week because I want to see how you live your life because I want to live in that way, right? And so I want you to know that that the Bible tells us God created us with a specific plan and purpose, right? And the book of Ephesians chapter 2 specifically says that God created us to do good works, right? So all of us has a purpose. That purpose mainly is to bring glory to God here on this earth. Right? And that can look different from, to other people. Some people, um, you might be working at a church. Other people, you not, it might be you being a good father and training your kids up to, to know who Jesus is. Maybe your calling is to be a missionary. But all of us were created with a plan and with a purpose. But there are many things that hinder us and maybe stop us or slow us down from being who we were created to be and do what we were created to do. Right? You guys agree with that? Amen. And so we're continuing our sermon series on the word surrender. We're going to be going through it a couple more weeks, but today we're we're looking about how to daily live in a surrendered life. And we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12. Let's pray, and then we're going to get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for being here this morning. Um, God, you are good. We feel your presence, Holy Spirit, um, where it's amazing that we can come and that we can sing songs and we can bring glory to your name. So, Father, we pray that um, you would be with us now as we open up your word and open up your scripture, that you would interpret these words, God, that you would speak to us the things that you are trying to get across to us, Father. And Lord, I pray that you use me as your microphone, um, God, and that you just speak. Uh, Father, we want more of you, more of your grace, more of your love, and more of your mercy. And everybody said, "Amen, Amen." Amen. Hebrews chapter twelve. Um, just the the quick context. This this is a great book in the Bible. If you want to learn theology, right? If you want to if you want to strengthen your doctrine and what you believe, you need to read the book of Hebrews. It's awesome. In chapter twelve, it's specifically called, uh, or chapter eleven is called the faith chapter. Right. Um, But today we're going to be looking at 12 and kind of talking about chapter 11. So chapter 12, verse one says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse two, looking to Jesus The founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This great cloud of witnesses, right? That's coming from chapter 11, that faith chapter. And chapter 11 talks about all these women and men of God that God used in the Old Testament to do great things. If you were to read that chapter, right, you would see some heroes of the faith. You would see Abel, and it talked about how he offered the best sacrifices to the Lord. Right, and eventually he was martyred by his brother Cain. Right, we know that story, and you hear um, Enoch, who the Bible tells. The only thing that we know of Enoch is that he truly loved God, and then God took him up to heaven. He said, "Man, you're awesome. I love you. Come on." That's all we know about him. I don't want to love God that much that God says, "You're done now. Come home." Right, and that's all we know about him. And then we it talks about Noah, who believed God when God said rain was coming. And at that point in time, they didn't know what rain was, right? But he believed God and did some awesome things and was obedient. It talks about Abraham and Sarah. It talks about Rahab, um, who was a prostitute who did the right thing at the right time when God told her to do it, right? And it talks about Moses and Gideon. Um, And so it's easy for us as Christians to look at these heroes of the faith, to go through Sunday school classes growing up, and it's easy for us to go, man, if I was just as courageous as Samson, Maybe I can do something big for God. Maybe if I was as, as faithful as Abraham, or maybe if I was... And we have to be careful, because if, if we're not careful, we tend to put those people on a pedestal like they were perfect. right? But I'm here to tell you something. right? If you didn't know this, they weren't perfect. right? They were dirty, broken sinners, just like we are today in 2018. Praise God, right? Because what that tells us is that God can still use somebody. That God can still, no matter who we are or what we do, if God has a plan and purpose for us, God can use us. But yes, they were sinners, but they weren't just sinners who grew numb to how evil and wicked their sin was. No, they were sinners who at some point in their life came to a complete surrender to God's will for their life. You see, God can use a sinner who is surrendered. Maybe you didn't hear me. God can use a sinner... Who is surrendered? He cannot use a sinner who is not willing to surrender to him. Think about it. Abraham and Sarah, 99 years old, 100 years old, have been trying to have a baby their whole life, and God promises them when they're 99 years old. Anybody in their 90s in here? Don't be afraid. Come on. 90 years old. That's a guy coming and say, "Hey, Abraham, Sarah, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a baby now. It's gonna be awesome." And they're like, "Ha! I'm old. You're crazy." Right, And then God looks at him and goes, no, but you don't understand through your offspring, down the line, generation after generation, you're going to produce a child that's going to save and redeem the entire world. And he was talking about Jesus Christ, but they doubted God. You see, their sin was they didn't believe that, man, I'm old. Guys can't do this for me. And so Sarah says, hey, you know what? Let's make this happen for God. We're going to help God do what he said he's going to do. We're going to help God. How many of you think that you can help God do something? You can't. Right. And so here's Abraham and Sarah says, hey, you sleep with my servant and then we'll have a baby. And that's going to be the blessing from God. You see, their sin was doubt. Moses begged God not to use him. Right. Moses says, man, I can't talk right. I'm inadequate. I don't want to do it. God, use somebody else. But look what God did through Moses. Jonah was reluctant. He said, man, I don't even want to go share your God. I don't even want to talk about you. Let them people in Nineveh be dead because they're wicked. I'm going to Tarshish. But look at what God did through Jonah. Right? Rahab, the prostitute, ended up saving this whole crazy army, right? And these two spies, she housed them. And God used a prostitute to do something big. You see, God can use... Um, broken, good, old-fashioned sinners like the people in the Old Testament and use them to build His kingdom. right? But it has to come from a place of, of surrender. God is in the business of using broken tools to build His kingdom. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you glad that, that God will use us even though we're broken and dirty and sinning and sinful? That should be something that we praise and clap about. That God is in the business of using broken tools to build his kingdom. And I want to give an example. I've, uh, I've talked about Kyle Eidemann before. I love Kyle Eiderman, right? I'm currently reading a book called The End of Me. And it's basically an entire book on surrender. But he talked about how he was studying one day. And how many of you have ever gotten on YouTube and you were there for like three hours? Right? You looked up how to do something and then you end up looking at puppies right? playing in the pool or something. And so he was talking about that, saying, "Hey, I was on the—I was looking up this motivational speech—and then he came across this um, community in Paraguay, and basically it was a—it was a, um, a community of about 100 to 150 people. And what's so special about these people, or what's um, noticeable, is that they lived in a landfill." Um, they, they lived in a part of Paraguay. It's not a very um, wealthy country, but they lived in this part. It was very much poverty-stricken, and, and about 100 to 150 people made their community inside this dump. Um, and they, when people would come and dump things, they would dig for resources and build their homes. They would find food in the trash that people were throwing away. And he said that people, when he talked about it, people talked about the smell that came from this dump. And there was about 150 people living in there. Men, women, children, grandparents. That's all they can do. There is food there. And he said that there is this man. He was a, a professional musician. His name is Favo Chavez. And uh, he was passing through um, Paraguay doing kind of like a tour for the, for the country. And he happened to smell the smell of the landfill. And he said, what is that? And he said, oh, it's, it's this community. And he said, take me to And so he went and he saw these little kids um, digging out resources and food from the trash. And, and it struck something inside of him. So he said, hey, I'm going to build a school right next to the landfill. And so what he did, um, and what's awesome is that this landfill is known not just for the smell anymore, it's known now for its orchestra. Right? How many of you have ever seen an orchestra live in person before? Anybody? It's amazing, right? Different instruments and it's loud and it's awesome. This landfill is known for an orchestra. So what Favo did was he, he got with the main person in the, in the landfill community and said, hey, I need all this equipment. I need any metal you can get, any strings you can get, any tin cans. And he, he literally made um, uh, what is it here oil can and cooking tools. He made flutes. Right? Out of a drum set, he, he took old beaten down um, pots and pans and used x-ray screens for the snare skin. Right? And he taught these kids how to build instruments from their community, and then he taught them how to use them. So a kid growing up in the dump can create something very beautiful. And they go and they literally have concerts here at the landfill to help them raise money in hopes that they can get out of the dump. Praise God, right? It's amazing. You can look it up. Look up the landfill orchestra in Paraguay. It's amazing. But that is the beautiful picture of what God does with us. You see, we are nothing but broken, dirty sinners. And God comes and we're trash filled. We have evil in our lives and God takes it. He takes us. He takes our lives when we surrender and he makes it into something beautiful. God takes this broken body, this broken man, and he turns me into an instrument for him. And he can do the same for you. It's beautiful if you think about it. It's amazing. God isn't looking for perfect people. He's looking for people who are willing to fully surrender their entire life to him. It's awesome that God isn't looking for perfect. Even in the midst of us living in our sin and in our trash of our life, we have to become humble and surrender to God. And so the question is, okay, pastor, I understand, but how do we do that? Right? It's, all, it's good to talk about things, but how do we do that? How can we live a life being surrendered to God fully? And so back in Hebrews chapter 12, there's three aspects of a fully surrendered life. Look at verse 1 again. It says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. So the first aspect of a fully surrendered life is removing all distractions that hinder us from being who God created us to be. Right. Every weight and distraction. Those are um, those things tend to knock us off focus. Right. How many of you know um, the great Olympic gold medalist Michael Phelps? Raise your hand. Let me tell you a little story about Michael Phelps and his uh, main competitor, Chad. I don't even know how to say his name. Chad LeClos, right? In 2012, Chad beat Michael Phelps. It was a a crazy um, thing, but Chad beat him, right? And then 2014, Phelps retires. He says, I'm done. I've won enough. I'm over it. In 2015, Chad begins to make fun of Michael Phelps, calling him out saying, you really weren't that good in the first place. 2016, Michael Phelps says, I'm back. Right? And right before their race, this was the face that Michael Phelps was, made, uh, was making before their big race. He had his music on, and Chad was actually warming up in front of him, and this was Michael Phelps' face. Right? He was a little excited, right? Can you tell? I know some of you make that face at your spouse. Watch out now, right? This is the face. that He was fully focused, had one mission. He was going to beat Chad. And in 2016, they begin their race. And sure enough, he beats Chad, in the, not only in the qualifiers, but also for the gold medal, right? But not only this face, like the, the big meme, right, the big thing. This was the picture for the 2016 Olympics talking about Michael Phelps. That's Chad on the other side. What is Chad focused on? On Michael. What's Michael focused on? Man, he's going, right? He's fully focused. He's ready to go. And they said because of Chad was watching Michael throughout their race, man, it slowed him down. And Michael Phelps whooped him, if you don't remember, right? But I want to tell you that even to, for us today, there are many things that tend to distract us. From us, in, chapter, in verse 2, it says, from running our race. So what are those things that distract you? I'm going to give you about five seconds. I want you to think in your life, in your mind, what is one thing that distracts you from fully following God? Okay, I'll give you five seconds. Okay. On a count of three, I want you to say it out loud. Whatever it is that distracts you from fully living up to your purpose in life. Are you guys ready? One, two, three. Uh, Okay. I've done that a couple times, right? I've had you guys say something, and I've heard some former fashion tacos um, coming back to me. Or food. I've heard food. Somebody literally said food, right? And so I looked up the average person um, some of the things that distracts us. The number one distraction from 2017 was our cell phones. I think I heard a few people say cell phones. Let me tell you this. Um, The average person with a smartphone, which I think everybody has a smartphone now, The average person with a smartphone spends about four hours a day on their phone, okay? That's not straight. I mean, that's checking your phone, checking your phone. Oh, I think my phone vibrated. You checked it, right? You're on Facebook for 30 minutes, right? So four hours a day, that's 86 hours a month being on your phone. And cell phones aren't bad, right? It's a good thing. You're able to communicate way quicker than you used to be. Right? You can Google things. It's helped me um, as I study. If I'm out talking to someone and I can't think of the verse, I can Google it really quick. But cell phones can also be very bad. It's easy for you to become more addicted to pornography. It's easy for you to become more addicted to, to, to your phone, period. Right? And so there's a lot of dangers with your cell phone. The second thing that distracts us for the average person is the TV or the news. Okay? The average person spends five hours a day watching TV. That's including Netflix, right? How many of you have Netflix? Okay, that's including Netflix, right? Five hours a day. Now, the TV is not always bad. Is it good to sometimes you'd be able to sit down and relax and be entertained. I love watching sports, right? We, watch, we like watching The Voice. I hope you're not watching The Bachelor, right? You're wasting your time. Um, but if, it's, it's okay sometimes to sit down and relax. But when it's becoming that big of an addiction and that big of a distraction, man, it's bad. Especially if you're watching the news. The news is designed to make you feel bad. And you kind of lose hope. It's easy for Christians. If we only watch the news over and over and how bad the world is, it can cause you to lose hope in the fact that God is alive and doing things in the world. Right? So watch what you're watching. And the third thing that we get distracted with, plain and simple, things that don't matter to begin with. Right? Right? Um, so how can you figure that out in your life? What are the things that are taking time in, away from you that, that do not deserve it? Uh, to put it in perspective, how many, day, how many hours do we have in one day? 24. Thank you. 24 hours. Let's say you're an you're average person, you're, you're trying to be healthy, so you get eight hours of sleep that leaves you with 16 hours left in your day. Okay, and let's say that you like eating, right? Praise God, we like to eat. That's an hour to make breakfast and eat it, about average an hour, hour for lunch, hour for dinner. Okay, that's three hours taken out, that leaves you with 13. Let's say that you are you're an average person, you go to work or you go to school. The the average person in America going to work at school is eight hours, right? So that leaves you with five hours left in your day. Right? And let's say you have a smartphone and a TV. Okay? So your five hours now turns to zero or negative one. You owe the day another hour. Okay? So if you're at that point, what do you do about your family? What do you do with your friends and your relationships and your hobbies? More importantly, what do you do about your relationship with God? Now, the easy answer, and what we tend to do, right, this is what we tend to do, we throw a little bit of Jesus in there somewhere, right? I can read my Bible real quickly over lunch, or I try to pray as I'm driving with my eyes open, obviously, right? Um, but that's horrible. Why is it that Jesus just gets a little bit of our day thrown in there, but we get five hours to the TV? Why is it that Jesus gets a little bit of our morning, but it's four hours on Facebook, Man, I think we got things a little backwards, right? Do you guys agree with that? Man, there's things in our lives that distract us. Francis Chan says this, Our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be of failure, but of succeeding in things in life that do not matter. That should be our greatest fear, that we succeed in things that do not matter and forget about the things that actually matter. Like following Jesus. So what is it in your life that is getting more attention than it actually de- deserves? Hebrews 12.1 says, lay aside, remove, literally get rid of those things that distracts you. When, uh, from what he says in verse 2, from running your race. Right? You guys with me on that? Look at verse, verse 1 again. It says, uh, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So the second aspect of living a fully surrendered life is repenting of all sin. Now there's a difference between handling your distractions and handling your sin. Okay? Handling your distractions is very easy. If you're you're addicted to your cell phone and you spend five hours a day on your cell phone, here's how you handle it. You put it in the other room and shut the door. Very easy, right? Um, If you're addicted to your TV and you spend multiple hours watching TV, very simple. Unplug it. Right. Those are easy ways to handle your distraction. But when it comes to sin, it's a little different. Right. I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Right. We're not really sure. But Paul uh, is is, is, um, known for Hebrews. He says to remove or it says, look at it again. Verse one, let us uh, and lay aside every weight in sin, which clings so closely. Handling your sin is a little more difficult. To remove something that clings to you is a little harder. You have to take that a little more seriously, right? It's like superglue. You ever super glue something and you accidentally got it on your fingers? Right? What do you, can you just do that? What do you got to do? You got to bite your lip and pull, right? And it eventually just kind of rips off a little bit. You have to literally get dirty with your sin. You have to wage a war against your sin. Sin clings to you. It binds you It entraps you. You have to tear it off. Whatever clings to you, tear it off, rip it off, and put it off and kill your sin. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, golly, Colossians 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, verse 5 says this. Put to death, therefore, right? Put to death. That's pretty serious, right? Put to death, Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its Practices And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Colossians 5 says to put it to death. Put your sin to death. And why I think that's so important is because the Bible specifically tells us that the wages of sin, right? The payment of sin. When we sin one time, what is the penalty for that? Death, And so it's, it's, it's amazing to me that he's saying to Colossians, hey, guys, you have to put your sin to death because your sin equals death. And I promise you this sin will always equal death. Sin will always equal you without Jesus Christ, without his forgiveness, without his blood forgiving you of your sin. It will always equal death and sin and death will always equal hell. The Catholic and the Pope, they're tending to lessen the penalty of sin. And it's ridiculous in my mind. How could you do that when the Bible says sin equals death? It will always equal death. Sin will always be destroying you. It will destroy your relationships. It will destroy your family. And that's why it says in Colossians, put it to death. Sin always equals death. Sin is always trying to destroy something. The Bible says if you don't, whatever is done in the dark will always be brought to the light. You have to handle and put to death your sin. John Owen is a theologian from the 1600s. He says this, and I love this saying. He says, always be killing sin, or sin will always be killing you. You like that? Always be killing sin, or sin will always be killing you. You have to wage a holy war against your sin. You have to. Some might say, man, I can't stop sinning. I can't stop doing this. I can't stu- stop doing that. And to me, that sounds like a surrender issue. To me, that sounds like you not only have a surrender issue, you're holding back. But that sounds like you have an idolatry issue with your sin. Right? Look at Moses when he said, man, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. He was, his sin was, man, I, I, I don't think that, God, you're really calling me to do this. He had a surrender issue. When you purposely choose to live life according to your own terms and your own desires, you are deliberately saying, God, I know, uh, I know better than you do for my life. God, I, I know you have a plan, but I have a plan as well. And, and I think if I do this, I can live a better life. God, I know what you're calling me to do. But God, I'm too broken to be anything but a dirty sinner. I'm not worthy of your forgiveness. I'm not worthy of your grace and your mercy. God, I know better than you. And some of you even add on to that. But I do want to follow you, God. Some of you even add on to that. God, I want your forgiveness, though. But I'm going to do my own thing. I choose this. And if you're a Christian in here this morning, right? I can't judge all of your hearts. But if you're a Christian in here this morning, It's time to get serious about your sin. It's time. I think we've grown too numb to the fact that sin destroys us. I think we've grown too numb of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of believers and gives us the power to fight our sin. And I think it's time that the church actually stood against what the world is trying to make us go with. And be the church. And be the Christian, the man and the woman that God has called us to be. I think we're seeing effects from that. Of us not being serious about our faith. Look around, the world's crazy. It's time to get serious about fighting your sin. Do you have an addiction problem? It's time to get serious about it. And I want to mention that starting in May, we're going to be having an addiction Bible study course here at Dumplin Baptist Church. It's called One Step to Freedom. Um, it's not a 12-step program. Um, it's, not, um, it's not admitting that you're broken or anything like that. It's people that, who have addiction problems or don't want addiction problems coming together and doing a Bible study, seeing what God wants to do with our addictions. And that's going to be starting in May. If you struggle with that, or if you know someone, or if you just want to be a part of that, I would love to give you more information. I'm so excited about that. Um, that's not just for drug addicts or alcoholics. That's for everyone. It is very, if you don't realize, it's very easy to get addicted to things in 2018. Right? So be praying for that. It's called One Step to Freedom. Uh, but if you're addicted to something, get serious about it. Maybe today, Christians, you need to rededicate your life. Come on. Rededication should happen every single day, every single week. Because there's not one day that goes by that you lived 100% for God. Right? And some people might think it's embarrassing. I think it's more courageous to rededicate your life than it is to live in your sin. That's the easy thing to do. Sit back and just don't do what God's calling you to do. So maybe today you need to rededicate your life. Come on. So the third aspect, okay? Um, The third aspect to us, fully surrender life, is running your race. Look at verse 2, back in Hebrews 12 again. Verse (coughs) 2 says this, looking, or verse 1, we'll do it again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. The third aspect of surrendering, uh, having a surrender life is running your race. And it's awesome to know that when you're not distracted, you're able to run your race more effectively right? It's good to know that when you're focused, right? Think about a runner. As a runner, if you're focused and you're concentrated on every step, every arm motion, every breath, right? I, I listened to a podcast last night that athletes, they think about their breathing, right? And it helps them perform better. My friend Landon, who um, Landon Price, he went to school, um, college with Lucy and I, and, he, um, and he's a freak athlete. Man, he, I mean, he can run and run and catch and throw better than everybody else around him. Right? He just ran um, the Boston Marathon like a week ago, or it wasn't even a week, it was this past weekend, I think, or yeah, a week ago. And it was one of the worst weather conditions the Boston Marathon has ever seen, and he ran and completed the entire thing. Right? It's amazing. But when you talk to him about it, man, he's focused. He's focused on running his race. When you're not tangled up in your sin, uh, and, and your sin's not clinging to you, you're free to run. The Bible says that for freedom, Christ has set us free. It's way easier to run when you're not tangled up, right? But if you are distracted, if you are tangled up in your sin, you're not running very effectively. Matter of fact, it's impossible for you to do it, right? Doing ministry for um, a few years now, right? I have, I've been doing some ministry for a few years, and I've heard this a lot. Donnie, man, the Christian life is hard. Would anybody in here agree with that? Raise your hand. I just want to see it. Raise your hand. The Christian life is hard. Do you agree with it? All right. Well, you're wrong. It's impossible. Without Jesus Christ, the Christian life is impossible. There is no way that you can live this life without Jesus' strength through the Holy Spirit empowering you every single day to fight your sin, to stay focused on Him, and not to be distracted. It's impossible. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in me, I'll abide in you. Apart from me, and you can do what? Nothing. So the Christian life without Jesus is impossible. You cannot do it. Jesus is the only person who comes to earth, and he was tempted with everything that we're tempted with. He was tempted with all the distractions that we were distracted with. right? It might not have been a cell phone, but it was more like this. Hey, Jesus, um, if you bow, I'll give you the whole entire world. Hey, Jesus, if it, you know, when he was in the desert, he was being tempted. You guys remember that? Being tempted with every single thing that we were tempted with in Jesus through what He did in His life and what He did on the cross and what He did in His resurrection and what He did right, and what He's doing right now as we speak, as He's alive in heaven. Only through Him and what He has done and what He's doing can we live the Christian life. The only reason we can run the race is because of Jesus Christ. It is impossible without him. I have an example of this. You guys know I love basketball. Ryan right High School, I was uh, one of the captains. And uh, I was uh, the center, right? And the the center is like the tallest person on the team. I was six foot one and and white, and so I wasn't the best jumper, right? Um, But I had to play the center. And so what I wanted to do was I said, Coach, hey, I want to become stronger. I want to be able to, when I hit someone, they move away and I can score and I can rebound. I want to run faster. And so I said, Okay, if that's what you want, I'll help you, right? And then he comes to practice with one of these. Does anybody know what this is? This is 40 pound weight vest. All right, So he puts this on me, and he says, "I want you to practice with this weight vest on." I said, "Coach you're an idiot." He said, "I don't care what you think. Put this on, and I want you to go." I said, "Coach, I can barely move. I was only about 145 pounds at that point. right?" And so I want you to imagine a 145-pound, 16-year-old Donnie Dela Cruz. I started running, I can barely move, I can't push someone, I'm top heavy, right? And so someone pushed me and I almost fell, I can't shoot the ball, I can't jump. And about halfway through practice, coach calls me over and said, Donnie, um, what do you think about that weight vest? I said, I hate it. Coach, I can't do anything, I can't jump, I can't run, I can't pass, I can't move. And he says, well, come here, let me take it off. I said, no, I, I I I can't even move. And he came over and my coach lifted it off me and he dumped it on the ground. He said, now go. I said, coach, I can't. <laughs> like, my legs are done. You just made me run a whole practice with 40 extra pounds on. He said, Donnie, go. I've lifted the weight off of you. Go. And if you've ever had one of those on you and you've taken it off, your first step, you feel like there's no gravity. Right? I was like, whoa. And like, I, I literally thought like, I was going to jump up just taking a step. And, and all of a sudden, I realized I was way faster. Right? I, I was moving. I was, if I pushed someone, they were on the ground. I loved it. Right? I shot the ball and it was too hard because my body was like getting used to this weight. And it was amazing. And my coach said, Donnie, when you when you take off your weight, and he was specifically talking about my mind, but he was saying, Donnie, when you take off the weight, you can move. You can move. And Jesus looks at us and said, All you who are, are heavy laden and burdened. And come to me. Jesus takes that weight when you have to you have to see and realize. Without Jesus, we're nothing but weighed down, distracted, stinky, dirty sinners who can't run the race that God has created us to run. You have to realize that, but when you lay aside those distractions... When you take off the weight of your sin and, and, and you break free from this, when you fix your eyes on Jesus and you surrender to Him daily, He is able to really take the weight of sin off of you. When you surrender, He's, he's really able to remove the sin of your life that is weighing you down, the guilt and the shame that comes with our sin. He's really able to remove those things from you. And then you realize when you surrender that Jesus is really able... To help you run your race in this life. That comes with you surrendering. Why is it that Jesus can do that? Look at Hebrews 12, 2, one more time. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Without him, none of this was possible. Right? We tend to think that this life in Christianity is about us. Has never been about us. never will be about us. Your name, I've said it before, your name won't even show up at the end credits of the movie. It's just going to say Jesus. It's always and always will be about us. Jesus and what he did when he came here and made it possible for us to have forgiveness, made it possible for us to surrender to him. Hmm. That's something to celebrate, right? That's something to be excited about, right? I hope so. This is hard, right? The Christian life is hard. But remember, um, when you go through your temptations and your setbacks, because you are going to fall. We are going to fail. We are sinners. Uh, We're not perfect, but we're being perfected, right? And at some point, we will be perfect when we're in heaven. We'll be in full glory. But until then, we will have setbacks. And when you feel too broken to be used by God, when you feel like you're too dirty to be forgiven, remember those heroes of the faith in chapter 11, all of them dirty, broken sinners that God still used to do something great in this world. Remember that. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy Jesus come to give life and life abundantly. So when you hear that little voice telling you, don't pray. God won't forgive you for this. That's the devil. That's never Jesus. Jesus is the opposite. He says, man, you're living in that landfill. You're stinky. I see your sin, but I still love you. Come on, join my orchestra. Join my band. Let me use you. So today I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. <coughs> And this is going to be our time of response. Very simple. Um, The Christian life, yeah, it's hard. It requires us to surrender um, those things that endanger our relationship with God. Um, It requires us to go to war with our sin daily. And it requires us to run our race. And so if you're a Christian in here and you're struggling with that. um, If you're a Christian in here and and there's some things that have been distracting you. Maybe uh, they're, they're taking more time than they should be. Man, the altar is here for you to come and lay it down. Come pray. Come rededicate your life. I'm here. I'll pray with you. I'm all about it. Right? I'll say it again. Rededication isn't something that you should be embarrassed about. Your thought of coming forward shouldn't be, I don't want people to think I'm broken. It should be the opposite. Man, I'm going forward because people know I'm broken. So, hey, the altar's here for prayer. I'm here to, I'm here to pray with you. If you're not a Christian right? Uh, Maybe today you realize that what you're doing isn't working, right? And I promise you, when you turn to Jesus and you surrender your life to him, you realize that he created you with a purpose. And he promised us that he would never depart from us, even in the hard times and the good times. Jesus is with you, but you have to surrender to Jesus. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So if you don't know who Jesus Christ is, I would love to talk to you about that. Whatever decision you need to make, if you're trying to run this race alone, um, man, that's hard and kind of dumb, right? It's a lot easier to run when you got someone with you. So if you're not a member of a church, um, if you are, stay there. If you're not, we would love to have you. Be at a church that you can serve and be a part of. Um, We want to push you closer to Jesus. We want to serve you. We want to serve with you. Amen. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And if you need to handle your business with God, handle your business.